0: Well, good morning, church. It is a tremendous joy to be with you as it is each and every Sunday. This is without question my favorite day of the week, my favorite time of the week. I so look forward each and every Sunday when we can gather the body of Christ with one voice, praising and glorifying the Lord our God together. So indeed, a joy and a treasure to be with you here this morning. Obviously, as you can probably tell by now, Pastor Vic is not with us today. Uh, Pastor Vic is off getting some much-needed time with family, and so today I have the opportunity to share with you a message from God's Word today. For those of you that uh, I do not know or I have not met yet, my name is Michael Shively, and not only am I thankful to be a member here at Redeemer Bible Church, but I am also extremely honored and humbled to serve here as one of the seven elders as well. One of my other joys in life and in ministry is to help facilitate, participate, and lead our prayer ministry here at Redeemer, and so today I thought, well, let me take an opportunity then to share with you a message, hopefully encourage us, maybe even challenge us a bit regarding a core tenet of our faith, and that, of course, being our prayer lives. And so we are going to be taking a break this morning from the sermon series that Pastor Vic has been walking us through in the book of Isaiah although we probably could have just as easily remained in Isaiah and learned something about prayer from the prophet as he was known to commune with God through prayer on more than one occasion. But today I'm going to advance us to the New Testament and specifically the book of Colossians. Colossians chapter 4 verses 2 through 4 is where we will reside together today. That'll form the basis for today's message. It is a text that I will use as a point of departure, and also one in which I will revert back to throughout the morning. And so for those that like to follow along, if you have not done so already, Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 4 is where you can turn at this time. And as is customary in our church, and for those who are able, I would also invite you at this time, if you would please rise and stand with me as we together honor the reading of God's word. So for some context here, we find that this is an epistle that is written by the Apostle Paul, and it is written to those living in the market town of Colossus, or Colosse, as some may choose to pronounce it. Regardless of how you choose to pronounce it, these are the words that the Apostle Paul had to say to those living in that town, beginning with verse 2. He says, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and pray for us too." that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading of his word. Church, you may have a seat. What we see here in the concluding chapter of the book of Colossians, the Apostle Paul exhorting the Christians in that city of Colossae to devote themselves to prayer. And knowing how important prayer was to the foundation and the establishment of the early church, Paul could have just as easily shared these same encouraging words and sentiments with those living in places like Corinth, Philippi, Ephesus, or Thessalonica, and who's to say that he he didn't? And some 2,000 years later, our contemporary hearts and minds would do well to be attuned to the relevance of Paul's words and this authoritative call which still applies to us today. Redeemer, Bible, Church, devote yourselves to prayer. Well, if we are to devote ourselves to prayer, as the Apostle Paul instructs, it begs the question, who, what, when, where, why, and how are we to go about doing just that? And so over the course of the next several minutes... Using the scriptures as our guide, I will endeavor to provide some answers to those questions as we also seek to comply and to be faithful with Paul's charge and directive. So starting out, let us first consider who. Who should pray? Well, since we know the book of Colossians was written to, as I said earlier, Christians, to believers in that city who had come under false teaching, it almost goes without saying that Paul is advising and exhorting faithful followers of Christ, believers, it is Christians who, that Paul is encouraging to devote themselves to prayer the people of God should devote ourselves to prayer and what does it mean to devote oneself to something well one definition of the word devote that i looked up says that it is to give all to give all or a large portion of one's time or resources to a person activity or cause and if you are here this morning and call yourself a Christian as it pertains to Paul's encouraging words, this applies to us. This applies to you. Are we, are you, am I, are we giving a large part of our time to prayer? Elsewhere throughout the scriptures, we see that it is God's people that are called to pray. In 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14, we see the Lord, after he had appeared to Solomon, Following the completion of the building of the temple, the Lord said the following to Solomon. He said, If my people, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. Well, I think it's worth pausing here for a moment just to note that there is nowhere in the scriptures that God places an age restriction or limitation on who should pray. And so if I could speak to the young children, kids, teens here for just a moment this morning. God wants to build a relationship with you. He wants to hear from you. And one of the primary ways that he goes about doing that in addition to the revealed word that he has given us is through the gift and the blessing of prayer. And if I can turn to your parents now for just a minute, and as a parent myself, parents, we would do well to model a lifestyle of prayer for our children. Evangelical biblical scholar D.A. Carson, he writes, notes, he says, quote, Many facets of Christian discipleship, not the least prayer, are more effectively passed on by modeling than from teaching. And so parents and grandparents, yes, it is important that we... Teach our children how to pray, it may be far more effective if we model and show the next generation how we are to pray. Well, what about those who are blatantly antagonistic towards God? Does God hear and respond to their prayers? The scriptures actually have a warning for those who choose to remain a friend of the world rather than becoming a friend of God. In John chapter nine, verse 31, God's word says, now we know that God does not, God does not hear sinners. But if anyone is a worshiper of, worshiper of God he, and does his will, he hears him. How often do we hear or see in our society? Maybe somewhat passing or flippantly, someone will say to you that knows you're going through something, hey, Ella, uh, I'll say a prayer for you. And they have good intentions for sure. But the reality of John chapter 9 verse 31 reminds us that sinners that choose not to worship the one true God should in fact expect nothing in return for prayers offered or requested. Indeed, a sobering warning. Now if you are here this morning and perhaps you are Unsure of your relationship with Christ. Perhaps you are not blatantly antagonistic towards God, but neither are, are you sure or secure in your salvation. But you are here seeking to know God. God. You desire to learn more about this God and to find out if Jesus really is who he says he is. Well, there is encouragement for you this morning from God's word. That is found in Isaiah 55, verse 6, that says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he may he is near. And so if this describes you here this morning I just want to encourage you to continue to press in and lean into God through prayer and to seek the Lord while he may be found and reach out to him through prayer. Well, if we are to devote ourselves to prayer as the apostle Paul commands, it is perfectly reasonable then to ask the question, what? What should we be praying for or about? Certainly not something that we came up with here at Redeemer Bible Church, but a worthy roadmap nevertheless is to follow the ACTS model or acronym, that being A, adoration, C, confession, T, thanksgiving, and S, supplication. First, A, adoration. If nothing else, our prayers should start out with focusing on praising and glorifying our God in heaven. Psalm 150, verse 1 says, Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. And then jumping to verse 6, Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. And King David said, I will praise the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. That from Psalm 34, verse 1. When we consider what we should pray for or about church, a great place to start is simply Glorifying and praising our God in heaven. C, confession. Confessing our sins through prayer, both of omission and commission, allows us to make progress towards forgiveness and reconciliation with those that we may have offended or sinned against. When we consider what a healthy church environment look, looks like, I would argue that the ability to freely confess, confess our sins to one another needs to be at or near the top of that list. Proverbs 28, verse 13 says, whoever conceals their sins does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. And 1 John, chapter 1, verse 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. The third pillar of the Acts Acronym is Thanksgiving. And as we again hearken back to the words of Paul from our text this morning in Colossians, we are reminded of what Paul said, that we are to devote ourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. Watchful and thankful. And we God's people, we have much to be thankful for, do we not? We of course are thankful for who God is, that he is loving, kind, merciful, compassionate, holy, and righteous, among many, many other things. And thankful for what God has done for us. That he has purchased the opportunity for us to be reconciled by going to the cross and rising from the dead on the third day. And of course things like the assurance of our salvation and the eternal inheritance that awaits us. Much to be thankful for indeed. Psalm 9 verse 1 says, I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will recount of all of your wonderful deeds. And 1 Chronicles 16 verse 34 says, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. good, his love endures forever. And finally, supplication. The Hebrew and the Greek word most often translated supplication in the Bible literally, literally mean a petition or a request. And I would submit to you that there is no clearer picture highlighting the importance of prayerful supplication than what we find in the Gospel of Luke Chapter 22, verses 31 to 32, where Jesus, in speaking to Peter, who was still called Simon at the time, had the following to say to him. He said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But then Jesus says, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. You ever wonder if your prayers matter? if they are heard or if they have an impact. Implicit in what Jesus tells Peter here is that had Jesus not prayed for him, there very likely would have been a much more disastrous outcome for Peter. Philippians 4 verse 5 says, The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. You're starting to recognize the theme here, church. Let your requests be made known to God. And then in 1 Timothy 2, verse 1. First of all, then I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people. What should we pray for or about? We should pray for one another, church. So the scriptures have confirmed for us who should pray and offer guidance concerning what we should pray for or about. So what does God's word then have to say about when, when we should pray? I know many people here sometimes struggle with understanding or discovering God's will for their lives. And sometimes we make things more difficult on ourselves than we need to. And as we have heard from this pulpit on more than one occasion, we would all do well to focus more on God's revealed will for our lives than to worry about or concern ourselves with the things, the mysteries, the unrevealed will that God oftentimes allows to remain hidden. And so when we look at the scriptures, we can again see God's clear instruction for his people in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16 to 18, which says, Rejoice always, pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And so here we see clearly that God's design for our lives includes praying continuously. So practically speaking, what does that look like? Well, I think it simply means that we take every and all opportunities, whenever prompted, to pray. Pray when you wake up. Pray when you go to bed. Pray at the mealtime, pray when you're in the car going to work. Pray whenever you're walking down the hall and you notice a coworker going through something difficult. Pray whenever the Holy Spirit nudges you. Take every and all opportunities to pray continuously. And elsewhere in the scriptures and in response to when we should pray, the Apostle Paul encourages us to pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. And with this in mind, he says, be alert and always keep on praying praying for all of the Lord's people. That from Ephesians 6, verse 18. In Luke chapter 18, verse 1, Jesus told his disciples to a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. And how easy it can be for us in our microwave society today to give up on prayer when we do not see immediate results. But, the, but Jesus encourages us not to, to give up. The parable that Jesus went on to tell his disciples in the subsequent verses of the 18th chapter of the book of Luke was about the persistent widow, and I encourage you to go and read that sometime. I don't know about you, but when I look back on my life, there are certainly moments when I can see that I would have done well to persist and labor longer in prayer. And if we can learn anything from the parable of the persistent widow and the story that Jesus told his disciples is that we should remain faithful in prayer and not lose heart or hope. The scriptures remind us that we should pray constantly, always, and on all occasions. In the epistle to the Romans, chapter 12, verse 12, Paul suggests the marks of a true Christian is to rejoice in hope to be patient in tribulation, and to be constant in prayer. Does that, church, describe us here this morning? Well, moving along, and again, as we heed the encouragement from Paul to devote ourselves to prayer, where? Where should we pray? Well, again, using Jesus as our model and guide, and example, Mark 1, verse 35 says, very early in the morning, While it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place. Went off to a solitary place where he prayed. And why might Jesus have sought a solitary place? Well, that is not meant to be a trick question here this morning. Probably the same reasons you and I seek solitary moments throughout our life and throughout our days. Namely, so that we can quiet our hearts and remove any and all distractions so that we can better focus our mind, heart, and attention. Matthew 6, verses 5 through 6 says, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray... Go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Anybody else find it interesting here that Jesus says that there will be a reward for those who pray in accordance with his instruction? And who doesn't like rewards? And better yet, who doesn't like rewards from our Heavenly Father? When we engage God through prayer... I would offer to you that just some of those rewards that Jesus may be referring to here would include his blessing, his favor, peace, patience, joy, and intimacy with our Heavenly Father, among many other things. Conversely, we should not pray in public to garner some sort of recognition or acknowledgement from others. Is it okay to pray in public? Of course. Of course it is, absolutely. But when we do show, we should do so with the proper intentions and not to seek the appro- approval or the applause of man. Prayer is not just something that we are to check off of our to-do list, but rather an opportunity to pursue intimacy with our Heavenly Father that can oftentimes be found sweetest in quiet and solitary places. Who, what, when, where, and now, why? Why should we pray? Of all of the questions and aspects of prayer that we've covered so far this morning, the why question could easily command a sermon series of its own. Why should we pray? Why should I pray? Why should you pray? Some may even ask if God is omniscient, if he is sovereign over all things, why should I bother praying? Do my prayers really matter? Does God need me to pray? Well, the answer to the latter is, of course, no. God does not need anything from us. But just as the earthly fathers here know this morning, our heavenly Father wants to hear from us, his people. He wants to know what's good, what's troubling us, what's on our hearts. And that's to the first question, do my prayers really make a difference? Well, when we view prayer as I believe it is correct, to do. That is, as an act of obedience and faith, our prayers can make a difference. Faith in the scriptures is defined as being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we cannot see. And I would say to you that that pretty accurately sums up or defines prayer as well. When we come to God in prayer, we often come in expectation. Therein lies the being sure of what we hope for. We come in expectation that God would hear us and then have the confidence that he will respond to us even if we cannot yet see how or when he will respond to our prayers. And therein lies the being certain of what we cannot see. When we consider why we should pray, I don't know about you, but whenever I'm told to do something or perhaps I tell my children to do something... That can sometimes, sometimes have the opposite effect of what was intended. We have a saying in our home whenever we receive some resistance or some pushback from our children, our kids. For example, do we have to do this or do we have to go there? Do we have to fill in the blank? Whenever my wife and I sometimes receive some questioning from our kids... Our response, and our kids could tell you this, they could recite it right now if they were here because they know it all too well, is that we tell them we don't have to, we get to. And that is really how I believe God would want us to view our prayer lives with him as well. We don't have to pray, but we get to and we should want to pray with our Heavenly Father, the creator of all the universe, the one who has created and has given life to each and every one of us here this morning. So why should we pray? The list very well could be endless to this question. And in the interest of time, I will offer only a few suggestions and reasons. Number one, and arguably the most important, we should pray because God commands us to pray. The following list is not exhaustive, but among other things, God commands us to pray for your enemies. Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 to 44 says, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Easier said than done. I think we would all agree. We are to pray for the sick. James 5, 13 to 15 says, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil and the name of the Lord and the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. And as we have already covered this morning, we are called to pray for one another. James 5:16 says, "Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working." Number 2. Why should we pray? We should pray because prayer reminds us of our need for God and our total dependence on him for all things. Allow me to repeat that. Prayer reminds us of our need for God and our total dependence on him for all things. In his book entitled Old Paths, New Power, author and pastor Daniel Henderson writes these words. He says, I am convinced that the great impediment to a new experience of spiritual power in the church may not be spectacular sins, but subtle self-reliance. In America today, and particularly in the part of the country that we live in, many naively think that we do not need to rely on God for our daily needs, as so many others are accustomed to doing in other parts of the world. But we deceive ourselves, church, into a false sense of security if we fail to acknowledge our daily dependence on God to provide and to sustain us in all things and in all ways. And third and finally, why should we pray? We should pray because it is through prayer that God is able to align our hearts with the things that he cares for most, namely seeking and saving the lost. In his book entitled Jesus Continued, Why the Spirit Inside You is Better Than the Jesus Beside You, Pastor J.D. Greer describes the days of unceasing prayer leading up to Pentecost, the power of Peter's preaching, and the results of the gospel at Pentecost. He notes that they prayed, they prayed for 10 days, preached for 10 minutes, 10 minutes, and 3,000 people were saved. Then he adds, today, we shuffle the zeros around. We pray for 10 minutes, preach for 10 days, and only three people get saved. He says, what a difference the placement of those zeros can make. Now, some of you may suggest, well, that statement seems to be A bit hyperbolic, and even if it is to an extent, I would suggest to you that we not discount the point the author is trying to make. And as Paul reminds us from our text this morning in Colossians, he says that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should, Paul said. Paul asked to be covered in prayer from the Colossians for the express purpose of preaching and proclaiming Christ to the lost. Why should we pray, church? We should pray because it is through prayer that God is able to align our hearts with the things that he cares for most, namely the seeking and the saving of the lost. And finally this morning... If we are to devote ourselves to prayer, how? How should we pray? Although there is not one universally accepted right or wrong way to pray, for those who may still wrestle at times regarding how we are to pray, we can again take our cues from the scriptures and the words from our Savior found in Matthew 6, verses 9 to 13. And I'm going to guess that many of us know this all too well. Jesus said, this then is how you should pray in speaking to his disciples. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts just as we have forgiven our debtors, as we forgive our debts, debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. The Lord's prayer, as it is commonly known, rightfully starts with adoration and reverence for God. And as we progress through this prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray, we are reminded of our desperate need for our heavenly Father to provide, forgive, and to protect us. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Our prayers should acknowledge the awesome and holy and righteous God to whom we are praying while simultaneously exhibiting a robust reverence towards our heavenly father. Acknowledging God as our father can remind us that he is our creator and the source of all truth and life. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We should be praying, church, for the coming of the new Jerusalem and the return of our savior. But until that day comes, our prayer should also be about accomplishing the will of God right here on earth. And give us today our daily bread. Already touched on this one a little bit earlier, but as we daily look to God to meet our physical needs, we can also be confident that he will meet us regularly in prayer to supply our relational, emotional, and spiritual needs as well, because he is Jehovah Jireh, which translated means the Lord will provide. And lead us not into temptation, temptation, I'm sorry, and forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. As we confess our sin, our God is faithful to forgive us from all of our transgressions. And just as God promises forgiveness to us, we are also called to forgive those who have sinned against us. And beyond simply just confessing our own sin, and forgiving others, it is God's desire that we would be reconciled and restored both to him and to one another as we acknowledge our sin, seek forgiveness, and recognize our brokenness and need for a Savior. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Since our God is our shield and protector, we ought to call out to him regularly to protect us from any and all attacks directed at us from the evil one who continues to roam the earth like a roaring lion looking to devour and to destroy God's people. This, this is how we are to pray according to our Lord Jesus. Well, we have briefly reviewed the who, the what, the when, the where, the why, and the hows of prayer this morning. But there is one one final question that I would ask you to consider and to ponder today and maybe throughout the week. One final question that neither I nor the scriptures can answer for you, but only you, perhaps with an assist from the Holy Spirit, can answer this next and final question. And I certainly do hope that you would take this to God in prayer and just ask God over the next several days, to reveal to you whatever he may choose to reveal to you as it pertains to this next and final question. And that question is simply this. What, if anything, may be keeping you from having a more focused, fruitful, and fervent prayer life? What, if anything, may be preventing you from having a more focused, fruitful, and fervent prayer life? My purpose in asking you to consider this question is not to make anyone here feel poorly or less than about whatever current state your prayer life may be in. Actually, quite the opposite. It is my hope that as you ask God to reveal to you whatever he may choose to reveal to you as it pertains to this question, that he might set us free from the bondage of this world, the things of this world, so that we can better focus our hearts, our time, and attention and to better prioritize prayer In our lives, I do not know what he is going to reveal to you. It will undoubtedly be unique to each and every one of you as you consider this question and ask the Holy Spirit for guidance concerning this question. For some of us, he may uh, prompt us to rearrange, restructure, modify some things in order to better prioritize prayer in our lives. For the men in the house, my fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, if you are not already leading in this area in your home, do not be surprised when the Holy Spirit nudges you to pray more often and more frequently with your wife and with your children. No matter what God chooses to reveal to all of us as it pertains to this final question that I would submit to you this morning, we can all be certain of this, that when we prioritize prayer In our lives, we'll see our faith grow, we'll draw nearer to God, and in so doing, God will continue to sanctify us and mold our hearts to care most about the things that matter to him. Here at Redeemer Bible Church, there are a number of ways that we also want to help you prioritize prayer. In your lives. And I know for many of you that are in small groups that prayer is a vital part and component of your weekly gatherings and your meetings. And if for whatever re- reason it is not, I would strongly encourage you to talk to your leader and to make sure moving forward that you include prayer as part of your weekly small group ministry gatherings. For those of you that are new here that uh, may not know and others that may not be familiar, we, as I mentioned at the beginning, have a prayer team here at Redeemer Bible Church. That prayer team is made up of approximately 90 people and often <coughs> excuse me, oftentimes prayer requests, praises, and updates are sent out via email, sometimes, multiple times a week. We are, of course, of course always looking for more people to join our prayer team. And so if you are not already a part of that team but would like to be included, I would encourage you to come and see me following the service and I will jot down your information and make sure that you get added to that prayer team moving forward. And third and finally, we also meet once a month right here at the church on the third Monday of the month where we invite the entire body of Christ, the entire church to come together for our monthly prayer gatherings. We follow the Acts model that I mentioned earlier, and it's always a sweet time of fellowship and prayer, where we pray for whatever the Lord may lay on our hearts. We pray for our church. We pray for our neighborhood, our community. We pray for our nation. We pray for the world around us. Whatever the Holy Spirit prompts us to pray for, it is always a sweet time of fellowship and prayer, and I would encourage you, if you can, to join us moving forward on the third Monday right here at the church, typically at seven o'clock, to pray once a month. Pastor Donald McDougall writes, he says, If human effort is the means of victory over spiritual forces, then the more believers exert themselves physically, the greater the chance of victory. On the other hand, he says, if the only recourse is to, is to depend fully upon the Lord, then they would spend more of their time on their faces in his presence seeking his help. Here at Redeemer Bible Church, I want to encourage us not to view prayer just as a ministry of the church, but as the ministry of the church that helps to propel everything else forward. Now, some of you may say, well, Michael, that's a bit of a bold claim. Where do you have the confidence to make such a claim or statement? Well, I'm glad you asked. Because not my words... Not my words, but the words of our Savior found in Mark 11, verse 17, where Jesus says, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations. Now, notice that Jesus here does not call his house a house of worship, a house of fellowship, nor even a house of preaching or teaching. But rather, Jesus says, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations the nations. Now, I do not believe that Jesus in any way meant to de-emphasize the importance of worship, fellowship, and the preaching or the teaching of God's word by making this statement about his house. But perhaps Jesus simply wanted to prioritize and elevate the absolute importance of prayer. Pastor Keeney Dickinson notes, he says, we pray in the context of ministry, but Jesus ministered in the context of prayer. And so may I encourage each and every one of you this morning to take an honest look at your lives. What needs to be pruned, restructured, or modified to help better prioritize prayer in your life, in your family's life, and in the corporate life of our church here so that we can all draw nearer to God and better align our hearts with the things that he cares for and matter the most to him. If you are here today and you are looking for or hoping for some kind of revival in your life, in your family's life, the life of your schools, churches, communities, I can assure you that it is not going to happen by reading another self-help book nor will it occur by peddling another social justice program, or even it will not happen, I would submit to you, by starting another new Christian ministry, as good as that may be. In fact, ministry and church works can sometimes be a barrier for us, if we are honest. As noted prayer champion E.M. Bounds once wrote many, many years ago, He says that it is better to let the work go by default than to let the praying go by neglect. Whatever affects the intensity of our praying affects the values of our work. Nothing is well done without prayer for the simple reason that it leaves God out of the account. It is so easy to be seduced by the good to the neglect of the best until both the good and the best perish how easy to neglect prayer or abbreviate our praying simply by the pleas that we have church work on our hands to do. He says Satan has effectively disarmed us when he can keep us too busy doing things to stop and to pray. No, church, I would submit to you this morning our only hope at revival will start when God's people who are called by his name, begin to humble ourselves and pray. Satan will try to destroy, discourage, de-emphasize, and undermine the importance of prayer and attempt to sabotage any unity we would share within the body of Christ, but we must persist and stand firm in our resolve to be a praying people. And so may we here, at Redeemer Bible Church. Pray with expectation for God to work in ways that we've never yet seen or experienced before in our day and in our time as we, too, devote ourselves to prayer, just as the Apostle Paul encouraged the Colossians to do many, many generations ago. Would you pray with me?